Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots are on the bye week this week. They'll go into the bye, though, over 500-5-4 after beating the Colts, and they'll have extra time to prepare for the now-resurgent New York Jets. And joining us now is our Pats insider, Fridays with Phil. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. Phil, how are you? I'm doing good, Brady. I'm uh I'm going to be honest, I'm looking forward to a week off, kind of recharge a little bit and hit the second half arc. You know, I got to say, I was at that game on Sunday, Patriots and Colts, and while I'm glad the Patriots won, has there been a more dreadful game for you to cover in a while? I mean, my God, like, I, I would have, if you told me the Pats were going to win 27-24, like, as long as they win, I would have preferred that to what we saw on Sunday. They are pretty uninteresting to watch right now, at least on the offensive side of the ball. I give their defense a lot of credit, what they've done to teams. And, and granted, the competition is what it is uh, when you're talking about Zach Wilson giving the ball away at every opportunity in week uh, or two weeks ago, I should say. And then last week seeing probably the most dysfunctional offense in all of football in Indianapolis. The defense is, is good. I, I'm surprised. They've exceeded my expectations and then some this year Brady but offensively it's ugly for a variety of different reasons and again it's it doesn't even really seem as though they're building towards much right now they're not doing all that much that that is interesting even in a vacuum in terms of the play calling or the design and so you put it all together and it's just it is it's just not all that exciting to watch on that side of the ball. You know, let's get back to the Pats in a second, but I want to get to this Colts thing, the thing, the thing that the team the Patriots just shredded last week in hiring Jeff Saturday. And, and look, what I'm more miffed about is the people like Kyle Brandt on the NFL Network and Joe Thomas today on NFL Network saying that Jeff Saturday getting hired is an affront to all coaches everywhere. If I were a current Colts coach that wanted that job, I'd be ticked. But I got to tell you, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for coaches everywhere because, Phil, I've been doing radio for eight and a half years, and I've been grinding at it. And the minute I go up against a former athlete with no experience for a job, that athlete's going to get the job. Or the minute that somebody's famous kid wants the job, that guy's going to get the job. This happens everywhere, Phil. It does. It happens everywhere all the time. It doesn't make it right, but it sort of is what it is. It's the harsh reality of their business. It's the harsh reality of our business. It's, it's the nature of the gig. Now, I think what Jeff Saturday has to overcome now, even just in these eight games to make it a, a passable situation, is he does have to win over these people that he has just superseded on yes. the, the coaching depth chart, if you will. And so that's going to be really difficult. It's going to make his job difficult. But in all walks of life, people get hired for jobs that they shouldn't be hired for. And uh, maybe in football they're less used to it, Brady, because it is I don't know, maybe it's more unusual there than other places, but you just laid out a few examples. I'm not sure it's all that unusual. It's just the nature of this one. This is particularly egregious. This is this is picking out somebody who, um, you know, maybe, like, listened to radio for a few years, <laughs> Brady, and then they hired him to host a radio show full-time, one of the biggest stations <laughs> in the country. That, that's what this feels like right now. Well, the Colts certainly are a, a, a laughing stock around the league. And let me ask you this, and I, I'm, be, I'm not even being facetious on this. If Josh McDaniels and the Raiders lose to this Colts team under these circumstances, does McDaniels make it through the weekend? Boy, I, I think if he coached another team, I think that might be in play. And the reason I say that is I, I just am not sure Mark Davis 
is going to be willing to eat all of the money that he's guaranteed Josh McDaniels, and I would assume Dave Ziegler as well. I mean, yep. they're, they're basically a package deal to then go out this coming offseason one year later and rehire an entire new staff and guarantee them a boatload of money. I, you know, listen, all these NFL owners are doing well for themselves, Brady. We know that. Just, just by dint of owning an NFL franchise, you're doing well for yourself. You're making money hand over fist. But I don't know if anybody is making that much money. Certainly Mark Davis, where he's just willing to, to light it on fire that way. I, I think he's probably committed to more of a long-term plan with McDaniels and Ziggler, and I think the fact that the finances involved would be really painful for, for a guy that, does, that isn't outside of his football team all that wealthy, seemingly, uh, it makes it hard for me to believe that he would part with them this season, midseason. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston Patriots insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, Phil, this show started in 2020, and that first season we had Eric Eager, now formerly of Pro Football Focus, on. And what Eric taught me that's always going to stick with me is when you have a young quarterback on a rookie deal, you need to make it as advantageous for him as possible, and you need to give him every advantage, and you need to remove all the other variables so you can just evaluate the quarterback. Either the Patriots are not doing that, or they think they did that last year in their spending spree and whiffed on a bunch of guys. Which one is it? Because the fact that we're having a debate, is it Mac or everything else, that's part of the problem, that we still don't have an answer on Mac. Yeah, it's it's the fact that they're not doing enough to support this guy. And I, I think they tried personnel-wise, both last year and this year. I, you know, they go out and they trade for Devontae Parker. Now, it's not like they had to fork over a ton of money to sign him in free agency, but I think that was a pretty shrewd signing given what they're paying for and what they had to give up via trade because the guy can still play. He's, he's limited in terms of the number of things he can do, but he can still provide a role for your offense. They draft a fast wide receiver in the second round that they think could be a difference-making playmaker. They, they go out and, yeah, it's a guard in the first round, and I would argue against doing that all day long. But if the argument is, well, we got to make sure Max protected, then that's trying to help out a situation. So personnel-wise, they've tried it. Coaching staff-wise, they've done the opposite. And to me, I think the ultimate example of just how difficult the situation is and, the, and how difficult they've made the situation on Mac Jones is just turn south to what's going on in Miami right now. It's almost yeah. what's happened in New England in reverse. Right last year, Tua Tungabailoa is in a brutal situation with no offensive line, very few playmakers to speak of, but a coaching staff that includes, get this, Brady, two offensive coordinators mm. <laughs> and two play callers and some difference in opinion in terms of who should be the guy and who is the guy and who's in charge and who's in control. You know, I think there's actually a little bit less of that here in New England. Everybody understands it's basically Matt Patricia's show, but – the uncertainty on that side of the ball in the coaching staff is obvious. And now what they've done with Tua is given him a real playmaker in Tyree Kill. They've given him a real offensive mind in Mike McDaniel, and the thing has blossomed. So it, it just shows it's a great example. Both of these on opposite ends of the spectrum are great examples of why situation matters for these quarterbacks. One team's doing a lot. The other team, not so much. And look at the results. You know, 
my gut tells me, I watch the Patriots and they're so inept offensively, my gut tells me when they play somebody good, they're going to get rolled. However, I don't know how many really good teams there are in the NFL. Tom Brady was right a couple weeks ago. There is a lot of bad football being played. Maybe the Patriots can win a bunch of games despite how they look. Well, that's where they luck out because even the Buffalo Bills, which would be easy to point to and say they've got two games left against that team, that team is the team that you need to beat to be in the playoff hunt, to be sniffing your division title, which is what they aim to do every single year. Even the Bills, you know, and it's not just because Josh Allen's hurt. Josh Allen is a stud, and I would argue he's one of the two best quarterbacks in football. But Brady, he's, especially these last few weeks before he was hurt even, he's making some baffling decisions where the turnover-worthy play rate is up. And you're wondering why he's forcing the issue sometimes when he really doesn't have to because their margin for error is so significant on that side of the ball. So is it a down year for him? Is he hurt now? Is he hurt significantly enough that it may impact him down the road? You know, even a super team, quote-unquote, like what Buffalo appeared to be coming into the year, isn't quite as strong as we thought they might be. Now, Miami's better than, than I anticipated, than I think a lot of people anticipated. But... Are the Raiders where we thought they would be preseason? Are the Cardinals even where we thought they would be preseason? At the end of their schedule for the Patriots, while I still think it's difficult and it's more difficult than what they've seen lately, I think in some areas, some pockets, it's a, it's a little easier than we thought it would be, which is fortunate for them. Is Josh Uche growing into becoming an impact player, or is last week an aberration given who the Pats were playing against? Yeah, we, I think we have to temper expectations here. I like Josh Uche. I liked him coming out of the draft. I was told he was talented enough to be a first-round pick, and had he tested at the Combine, he very likely would have been a first-round pick in 2020. He was that athletic. He was that set up to blow up in Indianapolis before that year's draft. But he's been so up and down because of the injuries, Brady. I don't know how you could bank on anything with him. It's been nice to see him produce and produce You know, over the course of the last two weeks, really. I thought both of these have been good games for him. But I think if they're leaning on him for anything more than a situational pass rusher who will occasionally flash, that to me is, is a hard ask. You know, what I think he could provide that would be of real value to them is in certain passing situations. If you would like to get Matthew Jude on a blow, he can be effective enough, if he's healthy enough, to be able to do that. That obviously is where Judon tailed off last year. He's acknowledged it. He thinks he's in better shape now than he was last year, but last year it wasn't good enough at the end of the year. He completely disappeared. If you can give him a little bit of a break and cap him at essentially 50 snaps, which they've really tried to do this year, if you look at his snap totals week to week, you might get a better player down the stretch run here, and so maybe Judon helps in that regard. You may not get a ton from him as an individual, but you might get more from Judon because Uche is passable now at this point in his career. Phil, final question. I need a little life advice from you. Are you ready for this one? Oh, I, I love it. I'm always ready to provide life advice. If there's anybody you should be giving out life advice, it's me, Brady. <laughs> so I, I'm excluding tailgating opportunities from this question, but by, outside of that, I have never been a beer before noon guy. There's something about drinking before noon that's not a road I really want to go down. But with the Patriots off, 
and I got a football weekend where I can enjoy it as a fan. And I'm going to my Seahawks roots again here. You know, I grew up a Seahawks fan. 9.30 a.m. Sunday game in Germany. When is too early to crack the beer? I don't want to do it before noon, but noon's like, you know, almost the end of the game. Do I do it at 9.30? Do I got to wait till halftime? What's the rule? Well, I think it depends on the setting, Brady, in all honesty. Where are you watching the game? If you're just at home in your living room and you're by yourself, I would say maybe hold off. Maybe hold off and wait till noon. Okay. If that's where you're most comfortable, if that's your wheelhouse, I think you have to understand yourself as a player. You have to do a little self-scouting <laughs> before you go into the weekend and understand what works best for you. Maximize your own personal skill set. Now, I wouldn't have a hard and fast rule that says no beer before noon because I think you could miss out on some outstanding, just outstanding early morning football viewing as a group. Maybe you get uh, just a, a whole bunch of bagels, you know, a bunch of bagel sandwiches maybe, maybe potentially depending on your situation and where you're at. If there's a good spot near your house, you get some buddies together. Now you're drinking beers. You're having a little breakfast. You're having a little brunch, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you buy a little. Maybe you buy a little champs if you're that kind of guy, Brady. <laughs> you start breaking out the mimosas at kickoff for the Seahawks game in Germany. I think there's a lot of opportunities there that you don't want to miss out on, but you don't force it, right? You don't for, you don't you don't you don't crack the champagne and start drinking eleven mimosas by noon if you're by yourself in your living room. Now I've got. I, I want to say I'm not judging you if you do do that. But it sounds like you—you you know, you probably—that's probably not your style. So I, it all, to me, it depends on situation. I mean, there's not—I got to be honest—the the amount of buddies just cr- knocking down the door to watch Seahawks football with me in Burlington, Vermont, <laughs> is not particularly high. So it's going to be me, my fiance, and our dog. So, you know. It, Maybe eleven. Oh, hey, then maybe mimosas might be the play. Then I don't know how she, you know, stands on the topic, but that could be a nice little way to spice up your your Sunday morning. <laughs> and then you know what, Brady? There's there's nobody that's saying to you that you have to watch every single game on the Sunday slate. Maybe by one o'clock, one thirty in the afternoon, if you're not thrilled with the games going on. You go, you sneak an hour nap. You wake up and you're ready to go for the second half of your day. Take you right into Sunday night football. I love it. Well, we're, I'm going to be battling this internal battle now for the next couple of days as I try to figure it out. Seahawks football in Germany. Patriots football back at it next week against the Jets. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, our Pats insider. Phil, thank you for Pats coverage and life advice. Oh, anytime, Brady. You know I'm your guy on both fronts. We'll talk to you soon, bud.